Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by the traveling gypsy Lexi, who okay. caught my attention just because of some of the stories I'd heard over a beer late night at the bar she works at at Ngante and was very intrigued because in episode, I believe episode eight, talked to Donna Cuthbert, a past uh, guest of mine who was an avid traveler, very interesting, strong woman, hitchhiked all over Africa, rode a horse across Mongolia, was riding a bike to South America, and then she sailed back to Australia. And you struck me as somebody who's as ballsy as she was, just with some of the hitchhiking stories you've told me about, you know, getting the bug, leaving everything behind in uh, Quebec, and just hitting the road for five years. So welcome to the show. It's nice to have you. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's nice to be here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, thank you for taking the time. It's always a pleasure to talk to somebody new, but you grew up in Quebec. Yeah. Um, parents who traveled, brothers, sisters. Yes. Were yes. You, you, were, you were very comfortable traveling from a young age? Um, yes, my parents, they both, my parents were both in the army, um, both traveled, backpacked. Um, so I guess I, I always saw it like it is possible, but um, they're... My mom's not too happy about me traveling right now. But that's just because she's scared for me. So, but is she doing? Are you doing it in a different way than she ever did? Because it sounds like she was a traveler too. Yeah, but she only left for a few months in Europe when she was younger, and then she always stayed home. And I think that yeah, it's a different mindset. I think um, that we have. I like I like moving somewhere and feeling at home there, and learning and staying for a while. And I think that the fact that I have this idea right now of not going back home it just freaks her out and she knows. But I mean, you've been on the road five years, I think at this point. And so when yeah, you say almost. not going back home, I mean, is she feeling like you're never coming home? Or are you, I are think you thinking like you never might go home? Maybe, but I no, actually I, I want to live in Canada again. I just, I'm open to anything. Right. And I love traveling. So I know that, um, I know that I'll be gone and I'll be back and I'll be gone and I'll be back. You know, I just don't think I'll ever settle in Canada ever. Interesting. Why not? Maybe when I'm older. Okay. Yeah. But I feel like I'm, I'm happier in the heat. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love rich culture. I love, I don't like, I feel a bit back home. Like I have to do things and I don't want to have to do anything. I want to do, I want adventure. I want something different. Um, I get itchy feet, I mm. think, but I don't know. I might change in the future. Who knows? Yeah. People but change. I mean, five years is a good stretch. That's a long run. I mean, how many times have you been home over the last five years? Three times. Three times in five years. And how long did you spend each time? Oh, different. Uh, first time about two weeks. The second time, I'm not sure, like at least nine months, I think. Mm -hmm. And the third time it was just past, it was three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. And so when you hit the road, um, well, first you were, you were describing that you were working in a, you're 25 and yeah. you've been on the road five years. So we can do the math on yeah, that. So you're, in a, you were working in a hospital when you're in your late teens, early twenties as a nurse or something. I was working in a hospital, um, as in administration Okay. and front of hospital and head of admin. I was just managing all the communications throughout the hospital and, I was studying um, at Ottawa US, well, actually, Um I was doing a bachelor in microbiology, but yeah, it did not work out eventually. Why? Well, long story short, I had an appendicitis, I missed school, they didn't want to reimburse me, I lost a lot of money, and then at that point, I was working, and I just thought to myself, you know, is this what life is supposed to be? Working hard and stressing and getting all these, you know, bad energy, bad feelings, depression. But I had everything and I had money and I had the car and I had the apartment. And I, 
but I wasn't happy. I wanted something else. I didn't want to see in 10 years what was going to happen. Uh, I wanted to, yeah, I just saw myself getting lost and just figuring it out. You saw yourself getting lost like out on the road or getting lost and stuck in the rat race? (laughs) On the road. Getting, I, I say getting lost is the best way to find yourself because, or for anything, you know, to find a good place, a good, if you look for some, if you look for something, you might pass something awesome. If you stop looking for something and you just look, you'll find something. Right where you're standing. Yeah. That's cool. And then you were describing a, 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 an inspirational woman that you happened to be working with who had just come back from a, a year of yes. travel. Yes. Yeah. So she was gone. Her dad gave her $30,000 and said, this is either for school or do whatever you want with it. And so she went traveling for a year and she discovered she was lesbian and she did amazing things. She went to Thailand and, and Spain and Africa and South America and just her stories inspired me a lot, yeah, to, to keep on going and, well, to keep on going. At the point where I met her, I already knew I wanted to travel, but she just showed me that it's actually possible, right? And then from that moment, I started doing research, how to travel for cheaper, how to make money on the road. And at the time, it wasn't that big. Because I noticed now there's a lot of videos, um, how to travel Thailand with a backpack, you know. No way, like on YouTube? Yeah, you can find thousands now. But back then, there wasn't much. It wasn't, it was just these small communities, right? Well, like five, ten years ago. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I mean, I hadn't even considered that as an option, that people could go research and... Yeah, well, I, I just became so obsessed that I was, I was doing anything to leave. So, um, I found actually that's the way I moved to China. I found Au Pair. You know that website? Mm-hmm. Nope. It's, there's a website called Au Pair. Yeah. Okay. A-U-P-A-I-R. It's a great website. It's for nannies. And, um, basically you go and live with another family anywhere in the world. And the families make profiles with their kids and what they want and what they want, um, looking for. And then you go and message them. And if they like you after an interview online, well, they hire you. And depending on the country and the family, in China, they pay for everything. So they pay for flight and um, they pay for your staying, your food. They buy your phone. They bought me um, insurance um, and Chinese classes, like no Mandarin way. classes. So I, all I had to do is go with my own money and that's how I started because I want, I knew I, I needed a foot in the country before I moved in, you know, just to be smart. So I, like I needed something. Right. That's safe. That's cool. Yeah. Um, can I ask how much money you had saved to start this adventure? <laughs> um, $800. You had $800 saved to move to China one way. Yeah. Wow. That's adventurous. <laughs> And, uh, can I, I just ask wanted to go what the experience was like. I mean, that's pretty hardcore to go to China. That's a pretty foreign country and a foreign culture. And I would love to hear about how they treated you as an au pair. Yeah. Um, China was really interesting. It was like another world. The first time I arrived, I remember where'd you go? Like where'd it's you- a Beijing, Beijing. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I got off the plane and the family was there to pick me up. And so I met them and I remember meeting them online, but this was like special. Mm-hmm. Then we go in the car and we leave and everything was gray. It was so polluted. Mm-hmm. The air was heavy and dirty. You could feel it on your skin. Um, a lot of people, buildings, just, just buildings and buildings and buildings. Um, and the food is interesting very different (laughs) it's difficult because sometimes all you want is a bowl of cereal or like eggs and bacon and you can't what they give you is this salty porridge with nuts and a fermented goose egg that's actually blue and black inside (laughs) That's breakfast. Breakfast and two chopsticks. Bon appétit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So I 
I'd go to McDonald's a lot just to not go crazy. Wow. But um, the food, I mean, I'm very open-minded, so I did, I had a lot of Chinese food, but at one point, to stay sane, you kind of have to, <laughs> I would get a lot of ice cream, too. Mm-hmm. It gets hot in Beijing in summer, but also gets really cold in winter. I was there from April to September, August, to August, and um, it was cold when I got there, and in July, August is so hot. It's really humid. You know, there's not many trees to to purify Insulate, the air yeah. and make it fresh. Yeah. And then, were you getting paid for this, or were you? I had like pocket money. It so was they would very give you a little, little. Bit of pocket money to yes. do whatever you need. Get your McDonald's. Have yeah. Happy meals. Yeah. <laughs> to go drink. I um man, partied a lot in Beijing. You wouldn't think so, but there's a whole neighborhood called San Litun. And it's all, it's a foreigner's district. And that's all the bars and the cool places, the cool arenas for shows, soccer games and stuff. Um, I mean, were you free to go out when you wanted to and come back when you wanted to? Do they have rules for you? Yeah. So I, um, I would work in the evening because the kid was going to school in the morning. So I had pretty much all day until four or five. So I'd get up early and I'd go grab my little Chinese to English book and a notebook with all my notes because I used to ask them or Google how to say this or ask them to write it down because everything's in Chinese symbols, right? It's not even readable like Spanish where you can see A, L, E or, you know, and write it down and then translate. You can't write it down so you don't know. If you're looking for a pharmacy, you don't know. So I needed my notes and I just got lost all the time in the city. And then from once you lost and you sick of being lost, you just find your way back. And then I think that's the best way. The best places I found were always like that. <laughs> Did you learn Mandarin at all? Yeah, I took classes. Like, could you go back now and communicate with people? Like, do you feel pretty confident with your Mandarin? I think if I went now, it would take me a few weeks to get back into it. I wouldn't be confident on the first day, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, after four or five months, I was I was pretty good to order food, ask for direction, introduce myself, and you could understand when they responded. Yeah. Wow, yeah. good for you. Well, it's complete immersion, right? I was living with a Chinese family. All my friends were Chinese, and all the people on the street are Chinese. So you want to shop? You want to? You know, you have to bargain over there. It's like everywhere in Asia. You bargain mm. for stuff. You need to understand numbers. Say, oh, that's too expensive. Or Yeah, I was shocked when I learned that, you know, when they learn Chinese as children, they actually learn the English alphabet first. Yeah, they call it pinyin. Yeah. So the way that they write their Chinese, ca- like the Chinese words, but with the, uh, the Greek alphabet. Yeah. Underneath it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting. I loved it over there. John and I... uh episode 27, uh, lived there for a few months and taught English. And we were in Beijing for a while and had an apartment over the temple of heaven, which was really cool. Yeah. We got hooked up, but I fell in love and really want to go back. I love the food. I mean, I know what you mean. Yeah. You know, just eating salty food all day. You just want a fresh salad, but just so intriguing. Just how they do life. Greasy too, huh? Greasy. Yeah. 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 The, Street food, very greasy. They use a lot of oil, right? Mm-hmm. No, so it's very interesting how they live life differently. How you see kids peeing or pooing on the street, or the way they interact, the way they don't mind being so close to each other. They have no bubble, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I liked how they also could count to ten on one hand. Yes, that was super how cool is that? Yeah. Yes, they have their own little sign language. And mm-hmm. I remember getting into an argument when I was bargaining for a coke and. This uh, gentleman had his thumb up, like, and pinky finger, like, hang loose. And so I thought that meant two yuan, but it means six. <laughs> yeah. Is that correct? That means six? And I was just like, why am I paying six when you have two fingers up? <laughs> but it took me a second to figure that out. And, oh, man. Yeah. But you had a good experience with the family. They were nice to you. They didn't, like, lock you in your room and beat you? No. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of racism in China. 
I was victim of racism. Racism. Yes, because the grandma, she was not too fond of foreigners. Mm -hmm. And I went and slept in her apartment, and she got really nervous. And apparently she had a heart attack. Because of you. Yeah, but she didn't die. She survived. But then they kicked me out of the family, so I had to change families. Oh, no way. (laughs) Yeah. That's a wild story. And then this was within the six months you were there, you had two different families? Yeah, the first... Three months was with one family, actually two months, because I was gone to Thailand in the middle for a month. So two and a, two and a half months with the first family, and then I went to Thailand, and then I came back and I started with this new family. Um, the new family, the lady was a doctor, and the man was like an architect, because you kind of have to have a lot of money to have a nanny there, right? Of course, to pay yeah. for a Canadian to come over. Yeah. Um, not that I cost much to to employ right Mm -hmm. but to feed me and everything yeah so the second family were pretty great also um i also i found another job when i was there i was also bartending wow not super legal but but just paid you under the table or did you get free drinks and that's it uh like, I would keep the, keep the tips and get free drinks, and, like, they'd buy me food, and I was just doing it every now and then, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I did that, and also, also I was helping um, some rich men. They would, like, rich Chinese businessmen and families would pay me to go to dinner with them and talk, just have conversations, start mm-hmm. conversations, push them to speak English. Like Even rich though, businessmen or families, like was just like both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just different types of people. Even students would pay me to go have dinner with them, and but they have they needed money because I wouldn't. Yeah, of course. I would go with friends, but you know when people would approach me, and I kinda, wouldn't do it. Kind of weird, like kind of everyone's mind goes like prostitution. <laughs> I <would> imagine, <laughs> but of English, of <laughs> <laughs> speaking English, yeah. It was, they they just want to learn English, right? No, I know. And yeah, I remember we got taken to a university and all we had to do was just talk to the students and we, they put us up for free and, mm-hmm. you know, we lived for free uh, and it was a good experience. I can't imagine myself ever trying to teach English again. I didn't like it, but <laughs> it was still interesting. I, yeah. It's a teaching is a, I think it's, you have to be careful because you're also teaching to young kids, right? And you don't want to... I feel like I don't want to do anything without knowing what I'm doing right, and I'm not a pro teacher, so I was never keen to teach in a school, mm-hmm. not that far, but I was nanny and I was teaching English, but that's different, right? Yeah. I just want to retouch upon that one point because I know all the listeners are wondering, so when you get paid to go out to dinner with these like businessmen, did they ever proposition you? For like, For like more? extra, yeah, like no. sex or anything like that. It was very respectful and it was literally yeah. just to speak English. Because they were friends of friends, oh, you see. know, it was all connections. It wasn't never like, I never went to a company and, and did that. It was all personal. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a good time. Wow. I didn't feel, I never feel like, I never actually felt really scared, but only from foreigners in China. Yeah. I mean, some people would look at me really like, what is she doing here? You know, I I come out of, you know, the feeling that they see you, they point you and they, they know, you know, you're noticed, but I never felt how to say in English. Threatened? Threatened or like creeped on, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. By Chinese, they're really reserved. I yeah. found it different for John and I, what, when we would walk down the street, we'd have always at like eight Chinese people around us wanting our autograph, wanting to take pictures with oh, us. Oh, I'm saying that. I'm saying as a woman, oh, okay. I never felt creeped on. I see. You know? Like they were going to take it to another level. Like of in Nicaragua, if I went walk like... like In a bathing in suit. In a bathing suit in, in Rivas. Yeah. There, I'd be a bit scared for my life. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess it would be the same situation... In China, but not really. People would just look at me weird. Mm-hmm. M- men in China are not really creepy in that way. Okay. And I felt, I 
it happened, but very rarely. Okay. The only time I was really scared in that stuff, like, that I ever had trouble was with foreigners. Interesting. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you left for only 800 bucks and you were there six months and you had a trip to Thailand. Mm-hmm. I mean, how'd you do that? What's your budget like when you do that kind of? Um, I mean, my trip to Thailand cost me maybe three, four hundred dollars. Which is half of your Yeah. Savings. I was making like, I was making a little bit of money there. You know how I told you I was like, in the bar, I was making a little bit of money, mm-hmm. and from that, those meetings, and like from my the family, I think it came up to like eighty bucks a fifty bucks a week or eighty bucks okay. a week, maybe or that they were giving me. You weren't me. spending money, so no, I wasn't spending anything. And beer is what fifty cents, mm-hmm. it's nothing. So yeah, it was good times. So then, what what made you leave? Why didn't you stay and continue on? Well, I met someone in in Thailand that I really liked at the time. And um, he ended up being my boyfriend for two years. Two years? Yeah. Nice. He a Thai or a, a Westerner? A Kiwi. Oh, okay. Yeah, from New Zealand. So that's a big reason why I moved out. And also there was some troubles with the foreigner that happened. And, uh, yeah, um, in Beijing. So... I just, I couldn't be there anymore. I got angry at mm. life. Anyways, I talked to the family. Everything went well. And then I left in New Zealand. And I lived in New Zealand for two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Were you on the North Island or South Island? Um, I was on, in Wellington. I don't know. Is that the North or South? Oh, North. Oh. South of the North. Okay. It's the capital. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah my geography's not great. Um, and you lived with your Kiwi boyfriend and you worked in New Zealand. Was that pretty easy for you? Yeah. I mean, I was unemployed for little amounts of time. Um, when I first met him there in New Zealand, he didn't have a job either. And then he found a job and I found a job. And, um, then we traveled and we came back and then he found another job and I found another job. And then, yeah, eventually I, it didn't work out, so I moved out and I kept on traveling. Where'd you go next? Um, Hawaii. Yeah, I stayed there for a few weeks. Um, then I went to, that's when I went back to Canada and I stayed for a few months. Okay. Because, you know, like, long relationship broke in. I was kind of... You needed a little family support? Yeah. And, it uh, worked. It's always easy to make money too when you go home. Probably yeah. can stack cash pretty quickly. At that time, I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking, and I was just, I worked four jobs just to get back on the road. That's how obsessed I was with traveling. Nice. Yeah. And then when did you decide to start, head to like Eastern Europe and start hitchhiking? Uh, well, I spent a year in Australia, and then my year was finishing the visa. That was just now. Um, in August, September, actually, on the 6th of September, my visa was ending. And I knew I had to, well, my family wanted to see me again. And so I wanted to go to Canada, and I knew that I didn't want to stay there. That's why I planned to come to Nicaragua after, because it was close, and it's cheap, and it's hot. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I knew, well, actually, I wouldn't have gone to Europe, but we had some friends in Greece, and... One night I was really drunk, and I booked a flight from Amsterdam to Ottawa. And I woke up in the morning to this confirmation email, so I was like, fuck, I guess I have to pass by Europe to (laughs) go. So I decided to go to Greece and hitchhike from Greece to Amsterdam to make it interesting. So where were you, though, when you booked a ticket? In Perth. Oh, you're in Perth, and you, oh, okay, so. Yeah. And then, so I left Perth, stopped in Singapore on my way, went to Athens, spent a week in Athens, and then I started making my way. I hitchhiked a bit in Greece, and then um, I didn't in Macedonia, because I jumped on the bus that was going to Belgrade in Serbia, mm-hmm. and then so... 
I got to know the guys on that bus, and I ended up like a, it wasn't like a touristic bus, was it? It was like people was like driving, a like a traveling bus. Traveling bus. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But they pick up people sometimes. Okay. Um. So I sat at the front with them, and we were smoking and playing music on my ukulele. And the whole bus was singing. It was quite fun, actually. And uh, so when we got there, they were like, "Where are you going?" I said, "I don't know. I'm gonna find something." They invited me to their house, and then we kept on drinking, and they gave me a room, completely nice people, I didn't feel threatened at all, and mm-hmm. and yeah, the next day, I kept on hitchhiking, they drove me to, t- to the bus station, but I found some people that were going my way, so I hitchhiked a bit, grabbed the bus, and then got to Sarajevo, from there, um, I stayed a week there, because I knew someone there. In Sarajevo? Yeah, that's in Bosnia, the capital. Yeah, what's that like? I mean, there's obviously been a lot of years since the uprising and yes. all the war. What's it like now? It's lingering. It's You can still see it. You can still see the bullet holes in wow. the buildings and, and some abandoned schools. Hmm. You can see the nostalgia in the city. Like people are just happy there's no war in their... Well, yeah, but you can, you know, you'd think after, what is it now, over 20 years? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. 25 years. It was around 92, I think, mm-hmm. um, from the war in, um, of, how do they call it, Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. the ex-Yugoslavia. I think that was seven countries, right? You've got Bosnia, Croatia, Serbia, um, Kosovo, I think so. Uh, Albania, Slovakia, and one more. <laughs> um, and yeah, man, you can, but it's beautiful. I love that the people were kind mm-hmm. and the markets were fun and you can easily hike like a few mountains around. It's very, there's a lot of hills and mountains and there's little towns in the mountains with their goats and good people. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I read a book called uh, Fools Rush In about a guy's experience um, during the war. He was an American guy whose uh, girlfriend had died in a car accident in San Francisco, and he was just heartbroken and kind of just really looking to like put himself out there, maybe even suicidal. So he flew over there. And to he, Bosnia. Yeah, and he, and he snuck in with a traveling uh, circus. With, and they had all these hidden supplies within their like circus group um, that they were going to go hand out like food and like gear and all that to all the people in Sarajevo. And he wound up staying in Sarajevo um, for years and was just like hanging out, like drinking tons, like getting shot at, like meeting all the people. And he talks about his story. It's, I'll put it in the show notes it's called Fools Rush In. It's a pretty interesting book of a guy's experience too. Well, I'm really interested now in this, this town. Being there, you could feel it, but if you can get some insight on like what someone's experience, mm-hmm. you know, because I I know a few people from there, and you know, I I heard their stories of going to school or broken breaking their arms and not being able to go to the hospital because it's war, and yeah, and it was quite intense to go, but now today it's gorgeous. It's in this tiny little valley. And um, it's filled with these houses with the red tops, the copper houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the culture is so rich and the food is so good. And the coffee, oh, they call it what, well, you call it like Bosnian coffee, but it's pretty much Turkish coffee, right? Or they put, uh, what's that, uh, herb in it? No, well, it's type of, of coffee grain, but the, the way that makes it special is, Turkish coffee, they bring you its bigger cups mm-hmm. and just the coffee. But the Bosnian one, they bring you the coffee and and two very small cups and a cup of sugar. And the sugar, they're the square sugars, right? Oh, yeah. And you get that and you pour some coffee in your, in your cup, no milk, and you're supposed to bite the, bite the sugar and then take a shot of oh. a little bit of coffee. <laughs> But not the whole thing. You're supposed to sip on it slowly. If you're offered a second coffee, you can say yes. 
But if you're offered a third one, it's a sign that you've over, overstayed your welcome. Oh, really? Yes. All your have... listeners, third cup of coffee in where this was Sarajevo, I mean... you should walk away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's these little traditions. It's pretty cool. That's yeah. really cool. And I've always been interested in learning more about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And what was so, why hitchhiking though? Like, I know you're enthusiastic about getting lost and meeting people, but I mean, I've hitchhiked, not my favorite way to travel. Sure, you meet great people, it's interesting, but I always just feel kind of like, you're kind of like the traveling entertainment for the person who picks you up. They kind of pick you up for a reason. Yes, it's a freed ride, but mm -hmm. not really. Like, they're picking <laughs> up because they're interested and they want to be entertained while they drive. And you being, you know, attractive female, like, you even said like you had you got creeped on a lot when yeah. you were doing that hitchhike. I mean, was that ever concerning for you? And would um, you recommend it to other you know solo female travelers out there? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a it's a way of traveling. If you have money and you you want to buy a, rent a car or buy a ticket, the train ticket or flight, that's fine. But you know, I I don't have a lot of money and and. Actually, to to do it this way is to to meet people and learn how they live too. And I try to think not about it on just of my point of view, but of their point of view. You know, yes, they're picking me up and they're looking for something, but it's just fair. I get something out of it; they get something out of it, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't make my goal to brag about my travels or be entertaining i made my goal of of making them smile and talking with them and and just be a good person you know mm -hmm. and if i can make them happy and have a good day i try <laughs> totally i think that's a really beautiful way to approach it in and the then best everyone's way. happy yeah yeah and then obviously you don't get into a car that you feel is like no. sketchy so i have a few tricks for that um for hitchhiking just hitchhike in places where there's a lot of people. So in gas stations or rest stops on the highway. Um, even on the corner on the ramp of to get on the highway. Because there's a lot of cars passing. And never hitchhike at night. I don't do that. Mm -hmm. I think it's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, so and what, like, say it's getting, like, later in the afternoon, you're getting a ride with somebody, you just say you get out and you go camp? No, or? no. If, I mean, if it's 3 o'clock and someone's like, yeah, I'm driving all the way there, yeah, fine. Okay. You know, I, I'll, I, if I get in the car, it's because I have the feel that, or if someone's freaking me out while I'm in the car, I'll just say stop, but it never happened. Mm -hmm. um, usually it's just to... Little things like I, I was really careful. I was actually really smart. I always asked, where are you going? So that the person would know where I'm, I'm going. So you say, at first they stop and they say, hey, you need a ride. And I say, yeah, where are you going? And if they're not going my way, well, I say, I'm not going that way. Thank you. Or if they say, if they're going my way, I say, are you going by there? Yes or no. But at least if you say, hey, I'm going to... Toronto, are you going that way? And then they could be just like, yeah. Mine to you. Yeah. I see. Or you can write on the sign. If you have a sign, you can write on the corner, kind of visible, like a female sign. Mm -hmm. And then if guys stop and you start talking to them and they're creeping you out and you're uncomfortable to say no, you just say, oh, I just get on with women, right? Stuff like that. So, okay. you know, it gives you an excuse. Most people I've said no to, I mean, I've said no to people that put down the, the window and offered me a ride because I didn't feel it and yeah. it, everything always went right and every time I get into a car I take a picture of the car take a picture of the, the plaque the how do you call it driver yeah the license plate the license plaque. plate mm -hmm. and they I send it to someone so good idea for my trip it was my dad I think he was just happy he would look at his messages once or twice a day but I mean, I'd be like, Dad, I'm going from that part to that part of Germany today. I think I'll be there tonight. I'll let you know. So every time I'd get off a car, I'd send my location on Facebook and then send him a video of me saying, ah, oh, I'm hungry, and it's going good. And then next car, and if you say, 
do you mind if I take a picture? And they say, yes. Well, you say, I'm not getting in the car. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. I love That's that it. little chick. That's jeans. And so then you just keep enough whatever credit on your phone that you're traveling with to just have internet access at all times. Or... It's easy. Like people are scared of that. But if you have a, a paid phone that you can just put credit on, man, in Greece, I think I paid 20, 20 euros for 18 gigs. Yeah. It's, that'll last you for weeks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's great. I remember. That's safety. Yeah. When John and I would travel, I mean, even two males, like you definitely start seeing patterns. Like we, if you were ever, if we ever had our, like our military, uh, shorts on or pants that we just, we weren't in the military, but we had them because it's their convenient to travel. Like we don't get picked up. You know, people want to see like colorful animated people, yes. like smiling, yes. like, doing funny things on the side of the road yes. and get picked up. Obviously, if you're with a girl, that's helpful. You know, girls get picked up way quicker than guys. Um, and there was all yeah. these interesting tricks that you start to notice get you a ride a lot faster. Uh huh. And then some of the times where, you know, people weren't going in our direction and John was always better than us than I was. Um, and we took the ride, like it led to some of the most magical, like friendships I still have to this cool. day. You know, like hitchhiking through Sweden and just taking a ride in a direction we weren't going, but the guy was super cool. He was our age, a traveler, and he took us home and we met his family. And I've traveled with all the kids. Yeah. At this point, there's seven kids and they're my, my family. I love them. Well, that's, that's, I agree on that for not having a plan and do it. Um, I'm always like that, open-minded, and I love not having a plan. But at that point, I had a flight to catch in Amsterdam, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I had to stay on track. <laughs> and so you actually did it. You did from Greece to Amsterdam. You hitchhiked 99% of the way. No, no, no. So because my budget was very low, I would go always for the cheapest solution. So that's the reason I said I hitchhike. Um, I also took buses. Like I hitchhiked and some buses picked me up, right? Mm -hmm. Or I did buy tickets for buses when the ticket was $12 for an eight-hour or six-hour drive, right? right? Mm -hmm. So when that's the cheapest solution, I would go for it. My My... Um, how do you say? My uh, goal. Sorry. She's a native French speaker, so <laughs> this is her second language. Struggling with English. I'm sorry. Um, my goal was to spend the least money as possible. So I started with a budget of 600 euros. But when I got to Amsterdam, I got well over my budget. And how would you have to borrow money from family or something? No, I mean, I had the money, but I didn't want to spend it. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. So you had more money, but you set a budget of 600 euros for that leg of the trip. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And um, what's your budget right now? Because I know you're on a tight one. You're in Nicaragua. We're sitting here in Igante Bay. You're a um, volunteer bartender. Yeah, I have about 40 Australian dollars in my bank account. And... 20 US dollars in my pocket. Um, like that's it? Yeah. Literally. Yeah. You have 40 Australian dollars in your bank account and 20 in your pocket. Yeah. And that's all the money in the world that you have right now. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, again, a volunteer bartender at a local pub, Juntos. Uh -huh. And yeah, so what's your budget? <laughs> <laughs> Not much for now. Um, I'll figure it out. I'm, I get paid, I get tips from the bar. Not much, but it's something. And um, I get paid to do drawings and draw tattoos and draw murals, mm -hmm. paint. Uh, but not a lot right now, but okay. I'm working on it. And, and that's kind of your game plan? I mean, you don't have any intentions of trying to go home and, and recoup and get some more money and then hit the road again? You're going to really try to give this a go and... See if you can continue on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I might. I just applied for a job in Puerto Rico, so okay. We'll see how that goes. Not an actual job, volunteering job, but okay. you yeah, know. I mean, this volunteer game is is one that I've talked about in past episodes mm -hmm. with Yazi and other people who just get around the world volunteering, and then they save their little bit of money that they build up in the locations they stay at for long periods of time just to buy that either bus ticket mm -hmm. to the next volunteer gig. Yep. And like Yazi landed with 300 euros in her pocket in Mexico and she's been in Nicaragua over a year, you know, and 
yeah. got herself here and lives here and actually just figured out a way to buy a house here. And That's amazing. Yeah. yeah it's a really cool It's story. doable. As long as you want to do something, as long as you have a goal, anything's doable. So what is your goal? Right now I have none. Um, in particular, I have some ideas of where I want to be in a few years. Um, Can you share them? Yeah. I mean... I would like to, I'd like to be in India next year. Okay. I would love to get, uh, perfect my yoga practice. Um, I'd like to be in Africa in two years. What See part my of family Africa? in Malawi. Okay. My dad married a f- woman from Malawi. And so he lives in Malawi now. He's moving there next year. Wild. Yeah. That's kind of a cool hookup to have in Africa. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, and I'm sure, sure I I have complete faith in life that I'll get there, make friends, meet people, and then I'll get opportunities to go travel somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethiopia, Congo, South Africa, Zimbabwe, anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere that I feel safe, you know. I think that as long as I know people and that I feel it, I always go how, how you feel about it, how what, what you've heard, what you read, put it all together, and just make the the decision that feels the best, you know, not the right or the wrong decision, or because I think that's subjective to to everyone, you know, but what you feel is right, yeah. and then yeah, then I'll go wherever. Yeah, I've always liked. Uh traveling through a country and getting to that border that you've heard about being sketchy, you know, mm-hmm. the country, sorry. Yeah. And you get closer to the border and you meet travelers coming from that environment and they say, oh no, it's fine. Or yeah. they say it's not cool. Like, don't go. Um, I've actually never had that happen, but, uh, yeah. you know, I like get, once you're close or on the ground in a place, it's a way different story yeah. then. You get the feel of the place. You get the, the people, the opinions, the, I have so many people that freaked out when I said I was going to Vietnam. Really? <laughs> and you know, yeah, it's like you've the been most there. touristic place ever. Exactly, right? But my mom screamed and cried and <laughs> like I was going to Syria right now. Yeah, it sounds like so your mom and dad are separated obviously. Is your mom ever going to come join you for one of your adventures? No, she doesn't really talk to me right now. She's uh, uh quite angry that I'm traveling. Like out of jealousy or fear? I think both. Really? Because you got out maybe and she didn't? Yeah, she got pregnant at 28 and then became the mom. And now she's pregnant with you? Well, and my two brothers. Okay. And now she's hurt, so Were she can't triplets? do much. No. <laughs> How'd she get pregnant with you and your two brothers? I <laughs> mean, like me and then my other brother and then uh, my other brother. Okay. Um,. And then she, you know, now she hurt her neck, her back, so she can't walk as much. She can't do much. So I think she, the fact that she's stuck at home and I'm not next to her, it makes her angry. And also that I'm traveling and I'm a bit crazy. Living your dreams and maybe she had to sacrifice some of hers. Interesting. Maybe. You know, a lot of the stuff that comes up in these podcasts are... Um, adventures and travelers having to deal with family stuff you know like i did have to go home for family reasons that you know come up and it's very natural and and sometimes for some families or for some travelers your family's the ones that almost held you back you know from actually going out and achieving your dreams or your goals mm-hmm. because of for whatever reason you know maybe they weren't unable to do it and they want you to kind of not suffer but go through what they had to go through or and it's always interesting because I do think, and I think this might be true for a lot of people, that the the people that hold you back the most are the ones you love the most. Yeah. And there comes a point if like you really want to set yourself free, you have to stand up to them, you know, and move yeah. past that and yeah. love them and just honor their honor where they're at within their you know feeling about it, but move past it. Most of the time, it's also like maybe there'll be jealousy or or hate or pain or. But it's also love, you know, and it's fear. I feel, I feel that she is scared for me, but I feel at this point she has to realize that to stay at home for me is as painful 
as her seeing me leaving, you know, mm. I, it makes me die inside to just sit there and, and not be on an, on this adventure. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting line that we all walk and, um, it's, it's one of those things that your mind, as you continue to adventure for some, like for some people, it starts to really take a toll and they feel guilty. Like they need to go home and, and they're not doing the right thing because their, their parents aren't proud of them or for whatever reason. And I think you being a bright, smiley person daily, I know it probably think about it, but it hasn't, it hasn't stopped you from doing what you want, you, you think know, is right for yourself. You know, I told myself, I'll never let anyone, doesn't matter if it's my friend, my partner, my family, or a stranger, tell me that I can't do something. I don't, I say it sometimes, I can't, oh, I can't do this, but actually I hate that saying because I think actually that I could do anything if I really wanted to. There's many things I don't want to do that I don't do, like bungee jumping, I don't want to do. I could do it if I wanted, but I don't want to. Um, but I think I can do anything. I think that's what pushed me to travel too at first because I told people, what do you think about traveling there? And what do you think? You know, I wanted to know people's opinion before I started traveling. And everyone went like, oh, that would be cool, but, you know, can't do that or you won't do it. Or I said, oh, I'm moving to China. They laughed at me. <laughs> and some people, no, you won't. And my mom, no, you won't. <laughs> I think that's what pushed me to just, you know, I'll show you. Yeah. I can do whatever I want. I mean, anything I set out to, I can do it. I think that goes for anyone. I agree. doesn't matter if you're missing an arm it's or you, you've got other capacities or you're missing something or you don't have money or... You, you don't know how to do something. If you're passionate about something, don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just... Do you ever get uh, lonely and depressed on the road? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly hormonal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a woman, so I always, once <laughs> a month, I get lonely and, <laughs> and sad and, and I cry. Uh, but, you know, I think it's, I think that's healthy. It's nothing intense. Um, I did get homesick a few times. Mm-hmm. But mostly I allow myself to love and be loved, right? So I have friends and I make boyfriends and I I live my life fully instead of being scared of being alone or being scared of getting lost or being scared of not having money. I have faith and I give all that I have and I open my heart to getting hurt because I'd rather meet someone and then lose them through traveling or through like a broken heart than not having these amazing feelings ever. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, very nicely said. I think that's a beautiful way to live, for sure. Yeah. So I'm not really lonely in that way. I'm always lonely and I'm never lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nicely said. Um, you have a really cool Instagram that people can kind of check out your travels yeah. on and just kind of get to meet your face and where you've been and what you do and how you roll. Is uh, How could they find you if they want to check out some of those photos? Uh, so it's just underscore Alexis Lalonde. Um, well, so it's A-L-E-X-I-S-L-A-L-O-N-D-E? Exactly. So it starts with an underscore and yes. then you go like that and they can kind of check you out. Yeah, I mean, you've got pictures from most of my journey and uh, all locations, too. So if you like something, you can see exactly where I took the picture um, and send me a message. Also, I'm happy to help. Um, yeah, you mentioned some really cool websites that people can check out, the au pair thing. Um, oh, man, if you want websites, I can mention a few. For, yeah, please. For flights, I love using um, Airfare Watchdog. And also, um, a very good way, oh, Skyscanner for sure, a very good way of um, finding good flights is to looking under incognito mode. Yeah, incognito mode for... Yeah, because then the, the websites 
or else the cookies recognize that you've been looking for the same place for about a few days and they put up the prices and you end up paying twice the price. Whereas if you go on Incognito Mode and you go on these really good websites like CheapAware or Airfare Watchdog, Skyscanner, um, you can find some good stuff yeah. for cheap. Also, sometimes if you're going, let's say, for long distances and you see that flights are expensive and you look at the layovers, you can find cheaper flights from the first place to the layover for cheaper. And if you build up that way yourself, it could be cheaper. Yeah, like little one-ways all the way through. Yeah, or also this really good thing that's an around-the-world ticket. You might have heard of that. So you can, I think it's about 3000 to $6,000, and you can stop anywhere between 5 and 20 destinations or something. You have to go one way around the world. I thought of doing that too, but you can only use it for a year. Yeah. So it's not enough time. Yeah. Like we can live for a couple of years on five or six thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, also, good websites. Um, I should have brought my book. I have really good ones. It's all right. I can put. You can contact me. I'll put in the show notes so people can. Yeah. Learn more about it. Because I love, I love all these websites that help so much with, um, well, with what you're gonna pay, right? So flights and visas and. Yeah, there's um, also a, a, my friend, a mutual friend, I think, has a website called Nine Lives, where people traveling and doing adventurous things who have uh, like physical disabilities, you know. So um, people who might be uh, in a wheelchair or have a community where they do crazy trips together, they go skydiving, bungee jumping, they're in Nicaragua. I'll have to research that and get people involved. And in, yes, it's, it's pretty do cool. that. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it was fun talking. I feel like I could keep talking for hours, but <laughs> you need to, you need to. Well, let's uh, let's meet again somewhere else in the future and another destination. We'll uh, definitely we'll see what happened. And, and if I meet someone it. awesome, I'll bring them. And yeah, I'll bring them to you. And yeah, then well, we thank you know. for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Man, anytime. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.